Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. So it's the first day of our Nyogen Senzaki session, commemorating his resonant teachings and life. And just this past Daibusatsu Day, May 4th, his dearest friend, Soen Nakagawa Roshi, paid us a mystical visit. We received three scrolls from Shinkon-san and Yusen-san who were long-time Daisatsu residents. And after they married, they lived in New York City for a while and then moved to California. And Ada Roshi had given them these scrolls to mark special occasions. Shinkon emailed me saying, we wanted them to find their way back to their proper abode. So the scroll on the left is by Soen Roshi's teacher, Genpo, Yamamoto Genpo Roshi. And it says, Setsu Gekka. So, moon flower, a well-known saying in the Orasenkei ceremony tradition. Snow means you may eat your sweets. The moon, please have your bowl of tea. The flower, of course, the tea plants that made this possible. And Yogen Senzaki would often end his talks. Have a cup of tea. On the right, another one that they sent is Soen Roshi's. You may dream. A silent, profound communication to his dear friend, Nyogen, whose Dharma name means like a phantasm. Of course, from the last verse of the Diamond Sutra, Think in this way of all this fleeting world as a star at dawn, bubble in a stream. A flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp. A phantasm 
and a dream. Yogan Sensaki's death day was May 7th, 1958. Some of us were alive then and had already set out on a spiritual quest. I was 15. 1958, and I've been sitting on my own for several years before I read my first book about Zen. That was The Way of Zen by Alan Watts, which came out in January 1957. Yeah, it was like we admitted into a secret way of life. Amazing. It was a vibrant time of renewed interest in Zen, which had been practiced by a few Americans, particularly a group of women as early as the end of the 19th century, 1890s. In the post-war years, post-war, you know which war I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. Zen was taken up anew, not so much as a practice, but as an inspiration for a new literary, artistic, musical culture to which I was very much drawn. The anarchistic, visionary, unconventional, way of life of the beat generation. And because we lived in New Jersey, not far from New York City, my friend Debbie and I would take the bus into the city and the subway down to Greenwich Village and hang out in the cafes, the jazz clubs, the art galleries, and particularly in 8th Street Bookstore. Who remembers 8th Street Bookstore? What a mecca. There we found truly mind-blowing treasures. Some of you have read these books. Jack Kerouac's on the Road came out in 1957. Lawrence Ferlinghetti's A Coney Island of the Mind came out in 1958. Allen Ginsberg's Howl, Gary Snyder's Rip Rap, and William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch 
all came out in 1959. And Zenshin Philip Whalen's first two books of poetry were published in 1960. And I found Yogan Senzaki's Zen Flesh, Zen Bones in the Vassar College bookstore in 1961. And in the library, D.T. Suzuki's three volume essays in Zen Buddhism. So what a time. Hmm? Just a few years ago, now, most of you know about Yogan Senzaki's life from past commemoration day shows and from reading Namu Dai Bo Sa, a transmission of Zen Buddhism to America. Ada Roshi's introduction to Like a Dream, Like a Fantasy, my introduction to Eloquent Silence. And so you know, it was a life of loss and adversity. From the time he was found as an infant next to his mother's corpse by a traveling monk. Through his early years with his adoptive family, the Senzakis, his frequent illnesses, his frustrated attempts to maintain his mentor garden for children in his village after leaving monastic practice at Ngakuji. His insurmountable disappointments as he found himself alone in this strange land. And finally, his realization that his real work was to cultivate a new mentor garden here in America for those who wished to practice Zen. Joining lay people in their own struggles and inspiring them to experience their Buddha nature. And this, of course, is how he requited his debt to his teacher, San Shakuroshi, and also led to his spiritual relationship Soen Nakagawa Roshi.
So, you know, I think we're all familiar with the kinds of difficulties that he had in his life to one degree or another. We're planning this, we're intending that, we're hoping for such and such. And what happens? No, no, not gonna be that way, no. There's that expression, man proposes, God disposes. Such great time for practice. Yeah. Will so-and-so be able to make it to session? Don't know. Are we going to have a transmission ceremony on the Sunday? Don't know. Will you make it through session? <laughs> Don't know. You know, we've been through and are still going through a time that really shows us how deluded we are to think that we can know. COVID, the planet in crisis, war, refugees, democracy in crisis. So now I really understand Edo Roshi's favorite phrase, Dharma arrangement. I used to think, oh, he would say that in the aftermath of something. Well, of course, it was a Dharma arrangement. Now I'm really seeing that its meaning is we just have to surrender. Dharma is arranging. We don't know. Of course, we have to have strong determination, aspiration, motivation. And then what? Let it go. Let go and let God. Let it be. Dharma arrangement. I bet everybody in this room, to one degree or another, thinks you are in charge of your own life. If you stay here long enough, you may start to doubt that, <laughs> but 
or starma arrangement. All we have to do is be awake to it. So one of the good aspects of getting COVID, I have to say, was it gave me time to read. I've been rereading Kay Larson's book, Where the Heart Beats, John Cage, Zen Buddhism, and the Inner Life of Artists. I recommend it. And I also went back to a manuscript that Wayne Yokoyama Sensei had sent me a while ago about the early years of Zen in America, with particular focus on the first American to undertake the actual practice, a woman named Ida Russell. The manuscript is called The House of Silent Light, and it will be coming out this November. Both the Cage biography and especially this forthcoming book by the late Brian Riggs and his wife, Idemi Riggs, give a fascinating picture of the early years of Zen in America. The Riggs book shows how important several students of Soin Shaku Roshi were to nurturing the seeds he planted. Two we know very well, Yogin Senzaki and Gaiasets Aitaro Suzuki. But it was a third only briefly mentioned in previous books about the beginnings of Zen in the West, who was quite instrumental, Ida Russell. She and several people who became her disciples had begun a strict meditation practice in a communal setting in San Francisco in the 1890s. Independently of Soin Shakuroshi's coming to America to speak in 1893 at the World's Parliament of Religions in Chicago. In 1902, she and her close friend, Elise Drexler, and her friend's nephew, Louis Howe, traveled to Japan determined to undertake formal Zen practice at Engakuji in Kamakura, where, of course, Soen Shakuroshi was abbot. An audience was arranged with him. He was quite taken aback by Ida Russell's request to practice alongside the monks so that 
she and her friends could experience the true spirit of Zen Buddhism. He reflected, since the value of seated meditation, Zazen, has been inculcated in us from the time we were children, we tend to take it for granted. But for those who have never received a word of instruction, we must recognize how remarkable it was that they arrived at these matters all by themselves. So here's a quote from the House of Silent Light, this new manuscript. Ida's unorthodox entreaty to immerse herself in Zen Buddhism by taking up residence at Engakuji reminded Soenshaku of the American enthusiasm for Buddhism that he had encountered in Chicago nine years earlier. Since then, he had corresponded regularly with Paul Karras, but otherwise had little direct contact with Americans. Ida's desire to practice Zen under his tutelage rekindled the abbot's interest in contributing to the expansion of Buddhism, and more specifically, Zen Buddhism in the West. Now, book goes on. And Gokuji welcomed lay Buddhists who, like Daisetsu Suzuki, wanted to temporarily live and practice Zen alongside its monks, a special dormitory, the Kojirin, literally layman's world, was used to house and train them. There were also hermitages scattered about the monastery grounds where visitors could live for days, weeks, or even months at a time. But Angakuji had never been host to Western practitioners, much less female Western practitioners. The differences in language, etiquette, and social customs would be formidable obstacles. So what do you think? What did Soenshakuroshi say? No way. No way. But the more I refused, the more they implored me for permission until I had no choice but to grant their wish. He was resolved not to spare his curious new disciples. They would be allowed to train alongside his other students, but they would be expected to take on the meanest of duties. From here to the furthest corner of the outhouse, he told them. And he assumed that once they were embroiled in the drudgery of day-to-day -day monastic life, that would be it. They would be returning to their comfortable lives in America. It's not what happened. They remained in Japan nearly nine months until March 1903. Just before their departure, the monks of Engakuji held a farewell party. Before departing, Ida Russell said to her teacher, 
This has been a most wonderful experience for us. It is a shame we cannot share it with others. So someday, when your circumstances allow, you must come visit our country. They had been training at Engakuji. Neither Diti Suzuki nor Nyogen Senzaki were there during those nine months. Suzuki had provided a translation while in Japan for Soen Shakuroshi's talk at the World's Parliament of Religions. And then he left Japan, he meaning Suzuki, in 1897 to work for Open Court Publishing in La Salle, Illinois. He translated the Tao Te Ching, which was the initial reason he went to work with Carlos, and then continued as an editor and writer, translating Ashvagosha's The Awakening of Faith in the Mahayana, and in 1898, writing his first book in English, Outlines of Mahayana Buddhism. Nyogen Senzaki and Daisetsu Suzuki first met in Tokyo, where they attended the same Sanskrit class. Yogan had been ordained on April 8th, Buddha's birthday, 1895, in the Soto school, and then was ordained again in the Shingon school. He was not quite 20 years old when he attended one of Soen Shakuroshi's talks. He couldn't speak with him at that time, but he said, the encounter was the true turning point of my life. And he immediately wrote and asked if he could come to train at Engakuji. And the book gives this description. On his arrival, Nyogen noticed the abbot possessed severe penetrating eyes and a stern mouth, all oh, very different and the kindness he had displayed in his letters. What the Roshi noticed was that his newest charge was quite ill. He had tuberculosis. The abbot directed that he be isolated in a small hut within the monastery precinct. Once, during one of Soen Shaku's occasional visits to the hermitage, Nyogen asked him in great distress, what if I should die? His teacher's response was, if you die, just die. It was a full year 
before he was finally allowed to participate in daily life at Mbakaji and go to Doksan and be beaten and scolded, he said, like a thunderstorm. Daisat Suzuki, meanwhile, had been working on the koan move and was avoiding Doksan at all costs. There's an interesting section in this Where the Heart Beats about it. He had been working himself into a state over his koan move for four years. Distraught and distracted, he decided he had nothing to say and stopped going to his teacher. The final retreat before he sailed to America was Rohat's session. The longest, hardest, and most intense meditation period in the Zen schedule. Faced with a do-it-or-not deadline, Suzuki broke through to Satori. The experience that leaves explanations in the dust and soars like a rocket to the heart of the practice. So the millions of words that Suzuki wrote in his lifetime were grounded in this germinal, wordless turning of the mind toward the fundamental mystery. When he continued his work and wrote to his teacher, it is my secret wish that if my thoughts are beneficial to the progress of humanity, good fruits will without fail grow from them in the future. How many of us have read those good fruits? You young people who have not read D.T. Suzuki, immediately after session, go to the library and begin. We have at least 30 books to read upstairs. I think many people view him as a scholar only, but it was quite clear that every single book he wrote was emanating from his own clear awakening. Yogan Senzaki stayed in Gakuji until 1901, the year before Ida Russell her companions arrived. He went back to his native prefecture of Aomori in the Northeast with a letter of recommendation from Sumin Shakuroshi, who said, he keeps no property as his own, refuses to hold a position in the priesthood and hides himself from noisy fame and glory. He has, however, the four vows 
greater than worldly ambition. Dharma treasures higher than any position and loving kindness, wealthier than ecclesiastical properties. So Senzaki established his mentor garden for the village children and encouraged their natural ways of learning. He would start by burning incense, doing zazen, and he said, I only guided and watched over them, helping them to learn about nature while they were playing. But he found it increasingly difficult to keep his school afloat financially. It was a time of great loss and economic distress for Japan, which had started a war with Russia and a war that it won, but took a tremendous economic beating for. And in that war, Son Shakuroshi's closest and most promising disciple, Uemoro Soko, lost his life. In January 1905, Son Shakuroshi resigned from his abbotships at Ngakuji and Kenchoji and accepted Ida Russell's invitation to spend time teaching at the Oceanside Mansion to which Ida, her husband Alexander, Elise, and others in the community had moved. So Inshaku set sail for San Francisco in June and asked D.T. Suzuki to take a leave from his work with Paul Karras in La Salle and join him as translator and general assistant. Yonin Senzaki, hearing about the upcoming voyage, asked his teacher if he could go as well, saying, I really want to raise funds for the mentor garden. If I work at making beds, then the beds I make will have the pure fragrance of bozats. If I become a cook, the meat will shine with light. If I work at washing dishes or shining shoes, that is also acceptable. Whatever I choose as my job, Nyorai will protect me. But once again, health problems occurred this time with a very serious eye infection. And so we had to go several months later, taking a freighter to Seattle, making his way down to San Francisco with no money and barely any command of English. And when he finally reached the Russell's home, it didn't go well. 
Nearly 50 years later, Yogan Senzaki remembered walking with his teacher in Golden Gate Park and being told, just face the great city and see whether it conquers you or you conquer it. He recalled, we were in the middle of the road, but he set down my suitcase he had been carrying, said goodbye, and walked swiftly away. I bowed to him, but could not see him. Was it my tears or the evening fog? I do not know. Evidently, they did have a few meetings after that, according to entries in Soren Schalker's diary. Sometimes in the city, sometimes at the Russells' home. And when his teacher was preparing to leave the city, Yogan Senzaki helped him pack his bags. But after Soren Schalker left for the East Coast, and eventually went back to Japan, they never saw each other again. Those of you who know Yogan Senzaki's poetry know how piercingly painful his dedicated words to his teacher were. So when Shaku left him in this strange land, much the way a lion pushes her cubs over the edge of a cliff to teach them independence, his only instruction was to remain anonymous and not to teach then for at least 17 years. And Senzaki worked day and night at odd jobs, first in San Francisco and then in Los Angeles, studied English, translated, wrote, and because of the power of his steadfast sitting, people discovered him, including Shubin Tanahashi, who became the Dharma link between him and Soenakagaroshi. Ruth, <clears throat> Ruth Strout McCandless was his editor and devoted disciple. Paul Reps, many others. Because of his inconspicuous dharma activity. All of us are sitting here today and throughout America. So in Shakuroshi spent nine months with the Russell 
at the mansion, about the same length of time that the three Americans had spent at Engokuji. And he wrote to a Japanese colleague a few weeks after his arrival, the daily life of the family. The family, he thought maybe they were related, but actually, except for Ida and Alexandra, they were all different people who were practicing together from all walks of life. The daily life is thoroughly religious. Three times a day, they practice meditation, sing hymns, ringing a handbell, and have simple meals. The whole family, even the servants, abstain from meat, wine, and smoking. Their life is very clean and pure. This kind of spiritually harmonious life cannot be seen in well-established temples in Japan. We have much to learn from them. <clears throat> the title of the book that I'm referring to by the Riggs House of Silent Light. That was what Ida called her home. And they say the name was likely a reference to Jaco in an ancient nunnery in Kyoto that would have been on her itinerary three years earlier. During So and Shaku's stay, Ida presented a large woodblock asking that he paint on it the Chinese characters that spell out Jaco, the same characters used in the name of the convent. Perhaps she was inspired by the woman-led association operating within Japan's largely male-dominated Buddhist establishment. Or she may have felt the term Jaco, silent light, that is, the light of quiescence, the light of nirvana, encapsulated the search of, for tranquility that occupied so much of her adult life. She hung the calligraphy over a Japanese-style peaked gate at the entrance to her estate. Even though Nyogen Senzaki had not been present when Ida Russell was at Engakuji, and even though he was at her home for a very short time, working as an inconspicuous houseboy, he held her in high esteem for her contribution to the establishment of Zen in America. Years later, when he had reformulated his mentor garden in San Francisco for Americans interested in the Zen, he spoke of her as a gate opener of Zen here in America. In describing Zen's spread east from India, he noted that a woman, a nun named 
Zongji, Soji in Japanese, was among the Bodhidharma, among Bodhidharma's disciples. And that when the teaching reached Japan, it was a woman, the Empress Dongmin, who became the first Zen student. And he said, here in America, it was first a woman who opened her inner eye in studying Zen. After leaving the Russells, Soin Shaku went on a speaking tour with D.T. Suzuki, who took notes on all of his lectures and published them through open court as Sermons of a Buddhist Abbot, which is now reissued as what? Zen for Americans? Yeah, Zen for Americans also in our library. While he was in Washington, D.C., Soin Shaku had a meeting with President Theodore Roosevelt. And the trip also resulted in D.T. Suzuki meeting and subsequently marrying Beatrice Lane, who really was his muse worked hand in hand on all of his writings, helping him, editing things for him, and putting out the Eastern Buddhist journal with him. In 1936, D.T. Suzuki was invited to London as a delegate to the World Congress of Faiths. The subject each delegate was to speak on was the supreme spiritual ideal. Suzuki began, really, I do not know what spiritual is, what ideal is, and what supreme spiritual ideal is. So instead, he talked about his small house and garden in Japan. He said in England and other Western nations, windows are little more than holes in walls that separate inside from out. The house stands by itself and so does its occupant, he said. Its occupant is separated from his or her surroundings altogether. There is nature, here am I, you are you, I am I. So there does not seem to be any connection between those two, nature, natural surroundings, and occupants of the house. And he went on, in traditional Japanese houses, the situation is altogether different. Walls slide away, completely removing one side of the house and opening it right into the garden. There is no division between house and garden. The garden is a house. A house is a garden. And when I look at those trees growing from the ground, 
I seem to feel something mysterious, which comes from the trees and Mother Earth herself. And I seem to be living in them, and they in me, and with me. I do not know whether this communion could be called spiritual or not. I have no time to call it anything. I am just satisfied. And with that, he got a standing ovation. Meanwhile, Yogan Senzaki continued struggling, never giving up. In him, we see that the practice of adversity can bring renewed vigor, aspiration, determination. Illness itself, if it doesn't kill us, makes us strong. The path of Zen is steep. There are delusionments and disappointments all along the way. And perhaps from time to time, we don't feel worthy. We don't feel we have sufficient resolve or the understanding that is necessary. We may feel quite unequal to the task, just as Yogin Senzaki often did. But, as he always did, we simply persevere so that we can know for ourselves the words I quoted at the beginning of this talk. From the very beginning, we are all Buddhas, for our minds as well as our bodies are nothing but Dharmakaya, the Buddha's true body, with infinite light and eternal life. It is our delusion to see ourselves separated from the universe, secluding ourselves in the small cells of individual egos. When you have awakened from your dream, you will know who you are and you will realize what you have to do. Your everyday work is a part of your universal work. Your wisdom and loving-kindness are the light and the warmth of Buddha, the vibrations of Dharmakaya, 
itself. So in this Yogan Senzaki session, we may from time to time visualize beautiful mandala of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas radiating from a central being of light. That central being of light, our own being. We also may simply receive this breath fully taste it, offer our thanks, and completely give it away. Offering, receiving, receiving, offering. So Roshi wrote on April 8th, 1946. Hana no yo, hana no yo, naruito bakari. All beings are flowers blooming in a flowering universe. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.